All right, guys. Hey, welcome. We're here with Dr. Ezekiel Adigan. He graduated from Harvard University as a doctor in 2014. He relocated to the Bay Area from D.C. He was originally born and raised in D.C. And he's trained as a professional uh, personal trainer. And he's here doing an interview with me today. He's actually my personal trainer, and that's how I met him. So, welcome. Thank you. Thanks for inviting me. I'm excited. Okay. All right. Well, just tell me a little bit. What do you think life is like in your America? What is life like in my America? Um, you know, I'm just out here trying to make it. <laughs> you know, I think like everybody else, we're all just trying to make it. Um, under this, you know, the system is, is tough. You know, it doesn't doesn't necessarily make things easy, but you do what you got to do. Right. So, so what makes it tough? What makes it tough? Oh, so many things. <laughs> so many things. Um, well, you know, I'll start with um, I'll start with health since I'm a doctor. Okay. It feels like, you know. It, it, they don't make it easy to be healthy, right? So let's see. I grew up in D.C. I grew up in uh, Northeast by okay. Howard University in the 90s. Um, and so, no, it was a tough neighborhood. Um, right. And I sort of had limited lim limited access to healthcare. Okay. Um, I, like, my parents did their best. Like, we, I got all my checkups in, like, dentists, vision, all that stuff. We got it. Okay. But... It was always a, like I struggled to get there. Like we had to like wait in line at like the I don't even know what they're called, like the federal to get like the federal to get the help. Exactly. Get the, the so it would be like a whole day to like okay. you know, right. get that shit done. Um, and yeah, I think I was part of what motivated me to become a doctor was that I had sort of limited access to healthcare. And then okay. education, right? I public schools in DC at that time were among the worst in the country, if not the worst in the country. Okay. Um, and so, and so, um, my parents sent me to private school across town, and that meant me waking up at six o'clock as a six-year-old to get across town um, every morning. Um, so in a way, you were bust. Yeah, well, so the, the school itself didn't have, like, school buses, but my parents had to be at work by 7 and school started at 8 so they had to drop me off at school at 7 so that they could get to work on time so right. I would be at school an hour before Everybody everything has. started so okay. yeah I was up at so I was actually up at I was up at 5 5 5.30 most okay. days okay um, and I'd be asleep <laughs> I'd be asleep <laughs> so tired um, where's my classmates you know most of them live by the school and right. just pop out at 7.30 and be there. Okay. So, um, so coming from D.C., how did you end up at Harvard University getting your degree there? Um, I got lucky. Um, I had a lot of opportunities. Um, people were just watching out for me. Um, I My parents got me into a scholarship program. Is there anybody you want to acknowledge or just... just, just oh, there's so many, people. so many people. Okay. <laughs> so many people, like... Right couldn't begin to name everybody like even the bus drivers like in the city like i when i was old enough to take the i started taking the bus by myself when i was nine okay and the bus drivers would make sure i didn't miss my stop they'd make sure i would was up um 
at my stop and like yeah so there's so many people who okay. <laughs> helped me nobody, get there nobody particular stands out I mean there's a couple of teachers that stand out for okay. sure um, okay. that you know saw potential and pushed me a little extra um, but I also yeah I got this scholarship program so my I, my mom found this scholarship program when okay. I was in 7th grade right and it was this long application I did not want to do it and of course she sent it to me the night before it was due and said you have to do this it's like a 15 page thing okay did it uh, ended up getting the scholarship um, it's, called the, it's called the Jack Kent Cook scholarship okay and Jack Kent Cook Jack Kent Cook he used to own the Redskins actually okay. he used to own the Redskins and the um, Orioles okay he owned one other team too I forget but basically getting into this program they paid for all of my like summer activities uh-huh. up until college and then they actually paid for med school as well okay so keep going all right, so now, having said that, what motivates you now? What, what, is, what is your driver? What is your internal driver that motivates you? I just want to do good. I just want to do good. That's really it. Like, it's not even that serious. It's not even that complicated. Like, I just want to do good. Like, I know I have... Um... So describe your practice or your business. How did you come out to be a personal trainer then? What made you... Want to be a personal oh, trainer. that was honestly being a personal trainer was something that I wanted to do for a long time. Um, I'm good with my body. I'm good with like exercise and movement and stuff, um, okay. and so it's sort of a natural thing. Um, and then when I was in my senior year of college at Harvard, um, I was searching for jobs. You know, my friends were getting jobs really quickly, and I wasn't. Um, and I figured that, okay, if I didn't get anything, I could fall back and just become a trainer until I found something else. Right. And then I never ended up doing it because I ended up getting hired. But um, it was something that was in the back of my mind for a long so time. So what were you before trainer? Uh, so... Or did you walk out of Harvard and say, I'm a trainer? No, no, okay, so no, no, no. bring us up to speed yeah. from, okay. from, from... Okay. Okay. So yeah, I was... Uh, I was a neuroscience major. Okay. I did a minor in Portuguese. Um, I studied abroad in Brazil my junior year oh, okay. of college, which was a great life-changing experience. Um, just, just hold that for just a minute. So what was Brazil like compared to being in America? Way better. Really? I should have stayed there. Really? Yeah. Yeah, so that they're a country that... Um, you know, they obviously have their own issues with racism and stuff, but as a whole, they love blackness way more than America does. Right. And they have well, a much Yeah, and they also have a much higher population of black people. Okay. Um, so, whereas the United States received, I think, about 400,000 slaves right. from Africa during the transatlantic slave trade, Brazil got 4 million. So it's like 10 times more black right. there. Um, like over, like I'd say, 60, 50 to sixty percent of the country identifies as black. Um, okay. And so, moving there from a very white environment like Harvard right. um, was very special. Um, it sort of helped with my. What made you pick Brazil? I mean, it was actually it was a, it was a coincidence. I wasn't intending to go there. Um, what happened was um, I 
we were required to, to learn a language um, in okay. school, and I but I tested out of the requirement because I spoke Spanish already. Right. But I still wanted to learn another language anyway. So my roommate at the time, he took he was a um, a Romance languages major, and okay. so he took Spanish, Portuguese, and Italian, and so he he recommended that I take Portuguese because. It's similar to Spanish grammatically, right. okay. and the Portuguese department at the school was very lenient, so it was like okay. an easy A, which I kind of needed. Right. Um, so I took the I took the I took three semesters of Portuguese, and just ended up really liking it. Okay. Um, and so I, at that point, it was like I got to the point where I would only get better if I went. Right. So I went. Okay. Yeah. So tell our audience. Most people don't know what the natural language or the languages of Brazil. Yeah. Um, let's see. Yeah, it's interesting. So the official language is Portuguese uh, okay. um, because it was colonized by Portugal, okay. um, whereas the rest of South America was colonized by Spain, so they speak Spanish. Right. But an interesting thing is the northeastern part of Brazil is like the blackest part of the country. Okay. Um, similar to like our south. Right. Um, which is where most of the slaves were. And when I went there, um, I was there for you know a couple of weeks, and I actually heard people speaking Yoruba, which is my parents' native right. Nigerian language. Um, that completely blew my mind when I heard that. Um, so okay. the official language is Portuguese, but like there's a lot of African influence. Okay. Um, okay. Yeah. What was that like coming back then in Portuguese? No, I mean coming back from Brazil, knowing what the what the atmosphere here is in America for you and what you are. It was terrible. I was depressed. Gonna be good, right? Yeah. I was depressed. Um, my first semester I came back was my worst semester academically. Um, I was I hated everything. I was like, why is it cold? Why am I here? It's snowing. Everyone is mean. <laughs> no, like no one knows how to have, no one knows how to have any fun. Right. Um, yeah, it was a it was a it was a tough. It was a tough transition back. It's um, I experienced what they call reverse culture shock. Right. Where like I felt much more accepted in Brazilian culture, and I felt much more at home there. How long were you there for? When I studied abroad, I was there for six months. Six but months. Okay. when I came back, um, so I told you senior year, I was trying to find jobs and stuff. Right. The only place that hired me was in Brazil. Um, so I ended up moving back. Yeah. Okay. So, so you were a black man. You got a degree as yeah. a doctor. Yeah. And oh, that degree. That was my bachelor's. That was my bachelor's degree. Bachelor's. Okay. My bachelor's degree. So you have your bachelor's degree. But you're still having a struggle. Yeah. Getting the point. So you couldn't get that. Listen, your guess is as good as mine. Listen, I had a good GPA from Harvard University. I applied to all these jobs. No one called me back. Right. <laughs> like, and the only, the only place that would hire me was in Brazil. So I was like, all right, I guess I'm moving to Brazil. Like, that okay. was it. Um, so I ended up moving. That was June. How did, how did your parents take it? Oh, they, when didn't, you they said, didn't like it. They didn't really? like it. Now, my mom did not want me to go at all. How about your dad? My dad is more, he's more like... He's laid back? He's more laid back. He's kind of supportive of whatever. He's kind of, you know, he's okay. kind of go with the flow kind of guy. So he, he, he didn't feel any type of way, but my mom was very like, why are you Are you, are you closer to either one of them? I'm not really close with either of them. Um, my mom was the more present parent. Okay. Um, but she was also just very overbearing. Um, and I kind of... 
grew out of away from that because I had to be my own man, obviously. Right. Um, and then my dad, my dad is like, he's very interesting. He's super smart, remembers everything, um, but just I think ne- didn't necessarily invest a lot into okay. getting to know us as kids. Okay. You know. Right. If that makes sense. That makes sense. My my father worked at General Motors. Yeah. And uh, we grew up in Cleveland, Ohio. So everything everything there was always a struggle or fight. Uh, I grew up in the '60s and '70s. So um, now, as a being who and what I am as a black man, I really don't see too much difference in what was going on then yeah. than now. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, now that I now that I think about it as an adult and what because you know he was my mom had a job too but my dad was right. providing and I feel like you know he's just black man in America he was, right. just, he was just tired. Yeah. Okay. So we, we we got through college we went to Brazil we relocated from DC yeah. in 2016. Yeah. What has been your relocation like here in San Francisco? That's fine. Thank you. Um, so... Do you want to press pepper? Sure. Sure. You know the game, say one, please. That's good for me. Cheers. Thank you. The game, say one, sir. All right, that's good. Cheers. Thank you. You guys want to enjoy. Thank, Thank you. you. Um, so I, I I like to make a, dis- a pretty clear distinction between living in San Francisco versus living in Oakland. Okay. Um, because they're completely different. <laughs> like they're completely different, and I didn't necess- I didn't know that before I moved here. Okay. Um, I mean, I knew they were different, but I didn't know the like levels to it, right? Like there's levels to this. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so when I was in San Francisco, I was living in the Sunset, um, which is the far west side of the city. Okay. Um, it's so cold um, over there. I moved in. I moved in July, and it was so cold. I didn't. I didn't realize how cold it would be. I didn't have enough the proper clothes. Right. It was bad. Um, nobody told you San Francisco was gonna be cold. Nobody huh? told me. Nobody told me. Um, <laughs> Did you move out here knowing somebody, or did you just kind of move I out here? I knew two people. Okay. Um, were they receptive to you? Yeah, 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 yeah. No, they were, they were my, they were good friends. Like one of my good friends from DC was out here working for a tech company, and then my other, one of my roommates from college also was out here. Okay. Um, so yeah, I had them, um, <laughs> but no, they did not warn me about the weather. Okay. Okay. So. Uh, what was so important for you to move from San Francisco to Oakland? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm from DC. I am used to being around black folks. Okay, well, for those who don't know in our audience, you know DC is known as Chocolate City. Yeah, and that's what I always knew. Um, it was like just surrounded by black folks black professional folks even um, who you know I don't know just expected excellence from everybody um, 
and it wasn't it wasn't a, it wasn't a weird thing to be black and successful um, it wasn't a weird thing to like be have a Harvard degree and also be at the club shaking your ass you know like it's just it's just the culture of DC I guess um, and then coming out here and experiencing so much like surprise at the fact that I was doing what I was doing um, as, as, as a successful black man um, you know just like the like backhanded compliments and microaggressions and stuff right the cold the um, and so the black folks that I was I was meeting a lot of them lived in Oakland um, and then I eventually joined a dance company in Oakland as well so I started going out in Oakland more and I was just like I don't need to be in the city anymore okay paying way too much for a small room in a place with no heat <laughs> um, so basically you were living in a in a, in a one room or you, did you have roommates I had it was a it was a three bedroom house two floors the landlord lived on the first floor so it's three of us living like right like you know essentially on top of each other okay um, and I was paying like $1,400 $1,500 which like not getting the return on investment you know okay. and then I moved to Oakland had a whole floor of a house to myself and was paying $900 wow okay and had a yard <laughs> you know <laughs> and better weather and better people and <laughs> better everything so with that how many times did you go back and forth between here and D.C.? Or did you, have you been back to D.C.? No, yeah, I was going back twice a year. Um, yeah, I was going back twice a year. What um, made you pick San Francisco? Anything particular? Or just say, hey, go west, young man. This is it for me. It was a school. school? Okay. I didn't want to move to the West Coast. I wanted to go to New York. Um, but the school, they said some stuff that rubbed me the wrong way once I got in. Okay. The head of the, the dean of the medical school. So my research interest in medical school was, um, was like HIV AIDS research. Mm -hmm. And the dean of NYU's medical school at the time said some disparaging things about gay people and HIV AIDS and I was like I'm not going to do my research here if this guy feels this way and then I went to UCSF but it was completely opposite because they discovered it here and then like were taking like care of all of the like ground zero this was the first UCSF was the first place to do to to be taking care of people and naming what it was okay and so that's why I came here okay. plus the money was right alright <laughs> alright Oh, for, for, for our audience to know, I met Dr. Ezekiel because he's my personal trainer. And um, he really pushes me to do better. Uh, I try. I try. I try. <laughs> I'm not as flexible, but I do what I can. <laughs> you do great. You do great. So, with this being Black History Month, what does that mean to you? Um, so I feel like every Black History Month, I learn about some piece of history 
that I wasn't taught about in school. Um, and it just like gets worse and worse how bad our history was here. Right. Um, and it's just, to me, Black History Month, I really think about just how far, how much we've overcome and how excellent we still are. It's very much um, uh, still we rise despite all of the, right. the BS. Um, what has been your personal struggle? I mean, you know, being a black man in America, yeah. doctor. Um, or would you say that's more to your personal struggles or if we just stay right there? Just being a black man and being a professional yeah. in, the, in the profession that you chose. Yeah. What do you think brings it home to you now? Bring, what, what grounds you or motivates you to go out there and write your own black history? So there were definitely a lot of struggles. <laughs> definitely a lot of struggles. Um, throughout my educational journey. Um, but particularly in medical school, I felt targeted often because, certainly because I was black, but also because I was trying to change things. Okay. Um, I didn't really take what they were teaching us as... Fascinating. Yeah. Um, because a lot of what they taught us was unnecessary stuff. Okay. Um, you know, we've got four years of school, we got a, in the entire curriculum, we had a half day on nutrition. Nutrition, that is essential, key thing. Okay. And we got a half day. So I had to go on my own and learn some more about that stuff. And we spend the majority of our time learning these super, um, um, super rare conditions that most people will never see in their lifetime. We spend like 40% of our time doing that. Oh, wow, okay. And it just doesn't make any sense because you'll never see this in your career. And they'll tell, they'll tell us that. Like, you'll never see this in your career, but you're, it's going to be on the test. It's like, then what is the test for then? Right. Um, so I very much, you know, especially when I was seeing patients um, had a, a very social justice-oriented framework um, I'm going to try to connect this person with as many researchers as possible. I'm going to spend extra time explaining things to them. Like, I'm going to make sure that they have the tools to not end up here again. And that's not what this system is created for. So I had a lot of my supervisors giving me, um, like, negative uh, reports. Okay. Based off of BS. Um, And they would always do it like I couldn't even respect right Right. so I would ask them for feedback right on the rotation or when I'm working with them they'd say you're doing great good job keep going and the report would come and they would make up all this stuff right (laughs) and I'm just like it it took me a while to to see the pattern because at first right you're an eager student you're trying to do your best people are saying X, Y, and Z about you you start to believe it right um and the way it, it, the way it, uh, the evaluations were set up is that um, the top forty percent of, of each rotation got an honors grade, and you know I'm a pretty smart guy. I 
I, I knew that I was in the top 40%. <laughs> that much I knew. Um, but, but, I, but, I, but I never got honors. At all. The first six months. And then once I figured out, like, oh, these people are making shit up about me to fuck up my grades, I started emailing the course directors um, to let them know, like, I actually, this report that you're reading, I spoke with them last week and they didn't say any of this shit to me and they said I was doing great right changed my grade immediately as soon as I started emailing them all honors uh-huh. so what is the grading system if all like if all it took is for me to just start emailing people and being like this is not right so you you became aware that that folks uh, were that, trying to, to right, take my shit yeah. and they know what they're doing it's not an accident okay so now when you think about the struggles of the people in the 60s and the 70s, do you feel like it's any different, any change? Or? Yeah, it's different. I think it's different. Like, you know, my struggle is a privileged struggle, right? right. Like, I'm still a doctor. I was still in one of the top medical school. Okay. Um, yes, I was facing discrimination there, but discrimination in terms of Grades is not the same as discrimination in terms of food right. or schooling or safety. Yeah. Right. right. Okay. It's not the same thing. So. So you know, I'm still gonna I'm still gonna be grateful that I have access to things that people 40, 50 years ago did not have access to. But the struggle continues. It's just right. they just change it around a little bit, but it's the same thing. Um, but it's it's certainly I, I would rather take this struggle. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Right. So, what do you think would be your legacy? My legacy. Mm-hmm. Um. Thank you so much. Mm-hmm. I don't know. <laughs> okay, what's my legacy? Um, I mean, I'm still, you know, I'm still in it, so I don't, I don't know. Um, all I know is that I'm just gonna keep. Well, what's your passion? What moves you forward then as you go through your life to say, hey, this is how Doctor Ezekiel Adigan is gonna leave his part. I mean, now that you ask, now that you're asking me the question, I kind of see myself walking in the legacy of the Black Panthers. Okay. In the sense of trying to change systems for the better, create better systems, lift people up using education. Um, so when you say create better systems and create better access, more have, have people of color be more educated about the health. Yes. But, yes. Yes. What, what does that mean? Yes. Um, educating about health. I think that is that's that is where I'm. That's what I'm doing. That's what I'm okay. equipped to do. I'm, obviously, there's way more to it, right? But it's a it's a it's not a it's not a it's not a task that I'm doing by myself. I'm one piece of many people who are trying to change things. Okay. Um, 
but I, I view my piece as yeah, um, educating folks about health and both physical and mental, um, and leading by example, right? Like I left medicine because it was destroying my mental uh, and mental health. But as a black man, so I'm glad you said that. You know, black men are a lot of times talk, be tough, be quiet, suck it up, take that up. Don't. Did you ever have a point in your life where you felt like your personal life or your professional life, and he's like, I got all these issues or problems, but I can't talk to anybody or really say how I feel or what's going on. Yeah. Um, so what did you? How did you deal with that, or how did you get past that? To, to be a success and get your degree and to keep going and kind of be a trainer yeah um, I mean I struggled I think I did struggle in silence for a long time um, but there are, there are people in my life who I can point to who encouraged me to be or at least I saw in them um, a model for being more communicative and more um open about struggles um, because it does help um, but no it was a lesson that I had to learn <laughs> the hard way for sure um, I was yeah I had many mental struggles in college um, wanted to drop out several times several probably three of the seven semesters I was there on campus I was depressed um, but I didn't seek any help in college. I was, it was kind of, at that time, I was still very much pushed through. Where was your family in all of this My family wasn't, my family wasn't a support system to me back then. Um, yeah, I don't think I really had a support system at that time. My support system actually was the gym, <laughs> to be honest. That's okay. why I'm a trainer. Um, okay. I kind of, worked out all of my emotions on my body. Okay. Um, yeah. That's, <laughs> yeah, that's that. I would, you know, instead of talking about it, I would just go to the gym and work myself really hard until I felt better. So what was your, give me an idea of your day then while you were in school. Would you be at the gym like six hours, four hours? This is in, co in college or in medical school? Either one. Um, I was in the gym probably like four or five times a week, um, and I'd be there for yeah an hour and a half, two hours. Um, in medical school, the first year, and a, the first year and a half, I was doing that. Um, unless like the week before a test, I probably wouldn't make it into the gym. But right after the test, I would go straight to the gym and just run and just like sprint <laughs> for like just get all of my emotions out. Um, did you get close to anybody? Was there, was there any support there? Mm. I got a therapist in that school. And so, yeah, I reached a breaking point where I couldn't hold everything anymore. Um, but I made it. I made it to the third year before that happened. Um, I had a lot of things happen at once. I, I had a really close friend do something really fucked up to me. I was having this ongoing issue with my evaluations where they were trying to make me feel crazy about my performance. Okay. Um, and then I also had a breakup all in the same like week. 
Um, and I <laughs> needed help. And so I got a therapist. Um, and he was great. He was amazing. He changed my life. Um, was it was it was it hard for you to look at yourself and say, I need help? Um it, be, a, be a condition in the it, way you were. You know what? It it wasn't because only because I had been listening to uh, this podcast, my favorite podcast, and they, they're two uh, black comedians, they've been doing this podcast for nine years at this point, and they always talked about therapy in their own life and how it helped them, so, and I just love their podcast, so I listened to that faithfully every week for several years okay. before I got to the point where I was like, oh, I actually need this. So I guess it was hard in the sense of like, it took many, it took a long time for me to get there, but once I got there, I knew I needed it, if that made sense. Right. Okay. Um, so you had a little bit of self-awareness and self um, Actualization to, to, to say, okay, I know I need this. Yeah. I gotta change it. Yeah, and I, it was important for me to find a therapist too who, who you could trust. Who exactly. Exactly. So. Did you go through a lot of therapists? Or? I got lucky. The first one. Really? Okay. Well, because so we had school insurance, and on their on the insurance's website, there's a directory of therapists. Mm-hmm. You can. You can put in different search terms to find someone who um, might connect you with. And so, it has to be black, obviously. Um, And I also um, wanted a therapist who was comfortable with LGBTQ folks and issues. Right. And so, there was like 15 people left after that. Okay. I called all of them. And the first one who called me back was the one I ended up going with and he was great. Oh wow. Yeah. Are you still in touch with him now? Or? Yeah, um, I'm not in therapy with him right now. Um, okay. But we email, we talk sometimes. Is he back in DC? No, he's here. He's in Oakland. Okay. Yeah. Uh-huh. Um, yeah, he changed my life. Okay. So what has it been like now? And, and now what, what kind of clients do you get or deal with that come to you to doctor? Trying to get healthy. How can you help? Well, maybe you can ask me some questions. Hmm. Either one. Answer that question, then you ask. Okay, me cool. Some I have some questions for you. Uh-oh. <laughs> Uh-oh. Um, um, and you know I'm not paying for lunch. <laughs> I get you. That was funny. <laughs> that was funny. That was funny. Um, 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 what was the question? Oh, oh yeah, clients. Um, so you know, I try to um, I try to meet people where they are. Um, I think part of why I went to training and I'm not like practicing medicine right now is that. Um, there's so much more freedom to connect with people um, and yeah, meet them where they are. You can't really do that in the doctor's office because you've got 15 minutes and you've got 25 people to see in a day. Right. Okay. Um, and you can only do so much. And we li- like the type of patients that I want to see, right, are not the people who can 
just make it happen. You know, there's other... If I see them determine that they need X, Y, and Z, oftentimes they can't get X, Y, and Z. And so I'm kind of shit out of luck trying to figure out how to get them right. X, Y, and Z. Right. Um, and so it just ends up being an uphill battle trying to figure that out before even trying to connect to the person. Okay. You know what I'm saying? Right. Um, and it's just a negligent healthcare system that we're in, right? Where, it, you know... If you don't have resources, you don't have any value, and so you don't get any healthcare. Right. right. And so okay. it's like, what if, how, is, how is it that someone can see a doctor or a nurse or whoever and they, the, the professional determines they need X, Y, and Z and we don't guarantee that they get it? Right. So... That's That's, 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 that's negligence. Yeah, that's capitalism. And I mean, that, that might be a whole other interview, but that's capitalism right there, you know? Right, and I don't, and I don't want to be part of that. Right. Um, okay. And like, they just set they they set doctors up to fail, because um, mm-hmm. if you want to be a good physician, right, you need to know your patients. Right. You know, obviously, you need to know all your science and all that shit too. But you need to know your people. Okay. And they don't give you time to respond to folks. Right. They don't pay you for that time. Yeah. If someone asks you a question. Someone emails you a question. Someone, they they got a test done and the results came back. Like you need to be able to contact them and be like, "This is what happened." Right. They don't pay you for that time. <laughs> they don't pay you for that time. Right. You so know. did you think about being your own doctor? I sense? did. Yeah, my like a private practice. Right. And and was the cost and the insurance what yeah. what kind of steered you away from it? Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. I think had I that was my first option. Like, okay. Let me get through the rest of this bullshit training, and so I can just open my own practice. But right. all of the doctors who I spoke to, who had private practices, were saying that it's not sustainable anymore. Now, how has COVID, uh, how has COVID affected all of your major decisions? Now, what did you do in COVID when uh, it came out that nobody could go to gyms or practice or do? What was your what was your source of income or what were you doing then? I was driving delivery for Grubhub. Okay. So yes, my parents were very proud of me. Um, <laughs> I graduated medical school in May right. 2020, and I drove delivery. And this is in DC. Or this Boston? is this is here. This here. is in Oakland. Oakland. Okay. And I drove delivery for. Almost a year, 10 months, okay. nine, 10 months. So what I would do is, I was also starting a company at the same time. So <laughs> so this is what I would do. I founded a company called Dancing With Your Doctor. Okay. We do Cobra Wellness workshops right. for different companies. I was, putting, I was putting that together during the day, trying to like find my vision for that, like get all my like business backend stuff done, the legal, hire a designer, get the concept up. And then I would do that during the day, and then at night I would drive delivery. Um, I would do six hours, five or six times a week. Um, I would start at five, I would end at eleven. Okay. That's why I've been to this restaurant before, because I picked up food from here to go deliver to somebody. Um, and that was enough money to pay my rent and my food, and that was all I had to pay because everything was locked down. Right. Okay. So it was a. It, I used that time well because I wasn't 
missing anything socially. Right. Um, so yeah, I just, I cooked all my meals. I worked on my business. Yeah, so I did business with no money, driving delivery. <laughs> Don't recommend, but I made it happen. Okay. Um, and then, yeah, and then once the gyms opened up, I, I was... So would you say being a product of Chocolate City prepared you for, for challenging times? I mean, it had to have. I'm a hustler. Okay. <laughs> oh, my. Like, at the, at the end of the day, at the end of the day... Okay. Excellence was always expected of me, right? And I had to find what that looked like for me. And at that time, what was your parents' feel? Or did you think about, you know, following them a lot? Yeah, of my time? mom's a nurse. Your mom's a nurse. My okay. mom's a nurse, and my dad—he's uh, retired now, but he was a uh, correctional officer. Okay. So that discipline. So from your dad, obviously, him being a corrections officer, the discipline part yeah. was there. Yeah. And your mom being a nurse, the care part yeah. was there. Yeah. Um, yeah, they, but they, you know, they never, I guess, yeah, they did. <laughs> I was going to say that they never, like, pushed me to become a doctor, but they did. Okay. Um, but for me, so what I realized, though, is that I think I really grew up during the pandemic because I stopped doing what was expected of me and started doing what I needed. And after graduating a very, very rigorous program, I needed time to do something else right. and recover. And okay. driving delivery was perfect because I could put on music, I could put on a podcast and just pick up the food and drop it off and like just be lost in my thoughts and not have to worry. Um, so it was actually a really great time for me. Even though people were looking at me like, you just graduated medical school and now you're driving delivery. Are you stupid? Right. Um, but it was what I needed. Okay. So what's your question for me? So you talk about the Navy all the time. And I love when you talk about the Navy. Right. Um, but I feel like you... And maybe, maybe I'm just reading into this. I feel like you always... You put like a like a positive spin on it a lot of the time and I want to hear about the bullshit <laughs> like I want to hear about the bullshit that you went through because that is that's what I feel like I could learn so much from because you I know you had to deal with so much and I mean yeah, there was some challenges yeah uh, I was a radar operator in the Navy uh, I went in and uh, uh, when I went in the Navy uh the Navy was actually the last service to release people of color or blacks from doing, just being, you know, changing the sheets, yeah. cooking and stuff like that. Right. So it was, it was definitely some challenges to overcome. But, you know, uh, I had to, you know, Dr. E, I had to make a decision because I had two grandsons. And... I didn't want to rest in bitterness. It's real easy to rest in the easiest yeah. thing there. Yeah. You know, I didn't want them. Man, I tell you what, it is amazing. It is an amazing feeling when your when your grandbabies see you and they just run up to you, just no hesitation. They know they're running into a safe place. Yeah. Person that's got them, we're gonna have some fun. So I had the choice to either be better or bitter. That's not to say that I still don't struggle with racism such as yourself because even though you you are half my age, I'm still proud of you in the fact of 
all the things that you accomplished, Thank where you. you are, what's going on, and everything else. But at the same time, and I'm not going to say but, because I don't want to cancel that. And at the same time, I know that my struggles or challenges are that uh, it would be real easy for me to be bitter because of those things. So, yeah, I talk about stuff in a positive way because, you know, imagine, if, if I held on to that bitter, I would yeah. be a bitter client. Yeah. You know, I would come to you, hey, Fucking doctor, sure. get get me get me right. I'm paying you. I paid you all this money. Yeah. Give me give me some service. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And so it's either you got a choice to either be better or better. And and I'm trying to be I'm trying to be better. You know, uh, across the board. It comes through. Yeah. It comes through. It does. Well, thanks. <laughs> no, because you're so you're you're a super positive person, which yeah. I know takes work. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's hard. I mean, growing up in, in the 60s, 70s, uh, you know, Cleveland is known for the Glenville, the Huff riots, Collinwood riots, and, uh, you know, people just weren't kind to us at that time. They just weren't. So, it, the, the challenges of the Navy, the challenges of growing up in Cleveland. Uh, just just yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, try to try to imagine if I was your client, you would no matter how much I paid you, you'd be like, "Oh man, I am not messing with my brother." Yeah, 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 yeah. Tell me about um your ex-wife. My ex-wife was actually pretty, pretty amazing. I, I give her a lot of credit for thank you, girl, for my success. We were married for a long time, and. Uh, I think some of the things that just got in the way was both of us were in the Navy. So one of us would be deployed, the other one would have the kids, and we, we just kind of got mission focused. Uh, yeah, I know, see that. It became, it became like, hey, okay, this is what's going on. I'm going to see do turnover or you know, get the kids, these are the bills, I'll see you later. And that's what it is. I mean, uh, we have a we have a pretty great relationship, and uh, you know, uh, we we didn't make it to the Jerry Springer show, so <laughs> that wasn't a goal of ours. And uh, you know, the, I think when we got divorced, even though we had already been living apart, our kids probably took it the hardest because you know, kids always want to see your parents. Just be a source of stability. But you know what? You have to even take that and say, okay, look, there's success in divorce because we didn't we, we didn't make the Jerry Springer show. You came with ten fingers and toes. You left with ten fingers and toes. You know, so no police, no no fire, no EMS. You know, so so that's how you have to look at that's how you have to look for success, even when things don't end the way that you want them to, to, to be, you know, and, uh, it's okay. Do you have any advice, lessons about staying with someone for a long time? Ooh, uh, that'd be a whole nother show. But I'd say the biggest thing is to understand that as people, as a person, you are static and dynamic all at the same time. Statically, you are the same person you were from the day that you were born. Dynamically, 
that person's needs have changed from when they were, weren't able to do for themselves as a baby, to a toddler, to a young adult, to the age that I am now. And one day it could be, wake up, hey, I never liked anchovies, but let me go. These anchovies are great now, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. So, and that's the, that's probably the hardest thing about marriage. Yeah. Because when people get married or they get in a relationship, you get in a relationship with who this person is at that time. Yeah. And then you either outgrow them or they outgrow you, and there's a reason and a season for that. And sometimes uh, it can be tough. It can be tough, and uh, but you still have to walk away. You still have to walk away with success, and understand that there was a reason in the season for that person to have been in your life. It may not necessarily be in it the way that you want them to be now, yeah. But you, you take what you can from them, and and you grow. You know, uh, you know when I grew up, everything was kind of black or white. But I, I've learned that now. Uh, Everything is not binary, you know, just even now, you know, with the different communities. It seemed like they had another letter every other day. <laughs> you know, LGBTQAI, you know, like yeah. all the letters, you know. So you have to, uh, and, and, and for me also, I have to stay current. It's not my grandson's job to catch up to me. I have to stay relevant in their lives and be in their lives in a positive way. Yeah. You know, because when I look at my grandsons, I'm looking at things that I know I will never see. But when they look back at me, they're looking at history. You know, I know that they will go on and do things and stuff, have fun, do whatever it is. I will never see it. I'll probably never be around to see those things. But if anything, I always want them to know that, you know, when it was time for me to be with my grandfather, we had fun, serious, he taught us things, and it was just always, you know, positive experience. I'm jealous of that because I've never met any of my grandparents. Really? Yeah. And see, that's a, that's a big thing in the black community because there's nothing, there's nothing legacy-wise passed down, morally, yeah. written, or whatever. It might be some old, torn-up pictures under a couch or... Yeah, this is what your granddaddy looked like. This is what your uncle looked like. But have you had a conversation with them? Have you met them? Have you had any of the great uncles, great aunts, any of those people? Um, yes. So, okay. yes. Um, the issue is that my parents didn't teach me Yoruba. Oh, so Yoruba is their um, oh, is their native language. Okay, and where is that from? Nigeria. Nigeria. Okay. And Lagos. Mm, like yeah, like an hour west of Lagos. Yeah, okay. yeah. Okay. yeah. Um, and so, my both of my grandfathers passed before I was born. Okay. And then, my grandmothers, I had had phone conversations with them. Um, they spoke a little bit of English, okay. and I understood a little bit of Yoruba. Right. But like, not enough to the point of like. Right being able to like really have a conversation and they and they passed when I was 11 and 13 did you go have you been there yeah yeah I've been I've been to Nigeria three times okay. I'm past due to go back um, I need to go back actually this year probably okay in December um, 
I went there one time and, uh, when I was in the Navy, and everybody I met, you my brother, you my brother, come with me, you know? Because you were. Um, and so, I think I, 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 especially meeting folks who are really close with their grandparents, yeah. I see how much I've lost from not having that relationship. Okay. Um, yeah. And so, the, when you talking about, you know, the ways that you're thinking about your grandchildren and, like, that, I feel like I've missed that. Right. Yeah. Yeah, because it's, it's not for Alan and Aaron to stay relevant to me. It's for me to stay relevant to them. And, you know, be like, oh, I ain't got time for you. Or, uh, you know how it was back in the day. I'm not going to see granddaddy. He's got hair growing out of his nose, his eyes, everywhere else. He just sits there, you know? You know, but... Uh, uh, so I just try to be a, uh, a different, uh, yeah, I try to carry that in a different way. I just try to carry it in a different way. Nothing wrong with what was going on because I, I have to understand and be aware that for my family at that time, the big thing for them was survival. Right. So I think their love was shown in just being able to, to be able to be survive to make it you know so that's what they focus on you know because my father worked at General Motors I had uncles that worked at all these plants worked for the water people you know and, and, and if anything they've shown hard oh, there's nothing wrong with me yeah absolutely but now it's my choice it's not like I'm forced to be in that I wasn't pushed into it right. it's my choice but then from my ex-wife's side I see that the people were in in the fields. They were they picked tobacco. They picked cotton. But don't let people who don't have degrees. Uh, and that was the other thing with people from the south and the north. There was even division there, you know. And uh, I talk about how uh, when I met my former mother-in-law, we didn't get along at all at first. But by the time she made her final transition. It's like, I don't want nobody else picking me up but Kevin. You know, I don't want nobody else carrying me but Kevin. You know, carry her. She couldn't, she couldn't walk. And I'd have to pick her up and just carry her. That's so nice. Yeah, you know. Yeah, me and, me and her daughter were together for over 30 years. You took care of her. Yeah. She saw that. And, see, and, that, and that's why, that's a good example of being better not better yeah you know and, and sometimes I have to remind myself of that because it's just I can I can it's, it'd be too easy to not to even walk around and just be bitter all the time yeah you know I struggle with that internally I feel like I'm I'm pretty good at like yeah. externally right being a good force um, yeah. but internally I feel like I'm, I'll catch myself like wallowing in shit that's happened before right um, that well I my mother said you could you can get a room at Heartbreak Hotel, <laughs> but you can't. Get, but don't get a suite. Don't get a suite. Don't get a top That's floor a suite. That's you know, a good don't one. get a top floor suite. That's a good Everybody one. has a has a time where you can get a room at Heartbreak Hotel, but yeah. don't don't stay there forever. But going back to what you said about labor, I 
I think that's I, I didn't get along with a lot of the other students in my class right because um, a lot of them come from very rich backgrounds okay um, and I didn't grow up rich um, we weren't like poor we were like lower middle class we had okay. like we never I never felt poor I felt poor in relation to the other kids at my school but like right. we were good okay um, but I yeah my parents have various jobs um, both white collar and blue collar so right. like it never it was never a thing for me I cleaned bathrooms when I was in college yeah. to pay for my spending money you know I was a delivery driver after being a doctor like yeah. I, I don't I don't have I don't I don't judge people's value and worth off of stuff right. like that right right Okay. Uh, so, we have five minutes left. Okay. What would you want to say to people about your life in America and the good, bad, the ugly? Would you stay here? Would you go overseas? What would you tell our audience to motivate them to say, hey, being who and what you are, black man in America, and how you see America and life in your America? It's hard for us here as you, everyone knows, but, you know, I think it does create, it, it creates an opportunity to be very powerful okay. if you're able to get through all of it. Um, yeah, you know, what is it? There's some, I'm missing the phrase, but basically, you know, pressure creates diamonds, right? right? Yeah. And so being in a particularly racist, violent country like this, the fact that we are where we are still speaks to how powerful we are. Um, and so there are benefits to being here. Um, but if you're looking for like more of a peace, you can go, you can leave, you can leave. <laughs> right. You can leave so you don't have to be looking up back across your shoulder all the time. Okay. Um, and at least experience it. I feel like, I feel like I, you know, if I, if I end up rich one day, I would like to pay for college students to live. Right. So you would want to give something US. back. Yeah. And yeah, pay it forward for other yeah, people. Cause yeah, because living outside of the U.S. definitely changed my life. Okay. Big time. Um, because it doesn't have to be this hard. <laughs> it, really, it doesn't. <laughs> okay. Um, okay. So I would say, I would say, yeah, there are blessings and gifts from being in this struggle. Right. But if you're tired of struggling, <laughs> you know, you can... Okay. There are places where the struggle is a lot less. Okay, okay. Well, I know you work at the SF gyms. We can post, if people want to get in touch with you, we can post that information on the uh, website when this goes into final production and uh, reach out to you. So, hey, I really appreciate you taking this time to take some time out of your day. Yes. And, and thank you so much. Yeah, no, thanks for having me. I appreciate it, really. I'm, I'm, I'm amazed that you think I'm worth interviewing, but... I'll take it. All right. <laughs>